You're listening to the Sonic Ninjas podcast. Follow us on Instagram at the Sonic Ninjas and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sonic Ninjas. Bradley Dean and everybody out on Facebook, how are you doing? What's happening, Facebook people? <laughs> hey, we made it to episode eight. How is that even possible, dude? We just made it once again. Barely, actually. Down to the wire, testing things, making sure it works, doing your, your lovely, your favorite line checks that you love so much. We should change the name to the Streaming Ninjas. <laughs> dude, the Barely Streaming Ninjas. Dude, I've been, this is, you know, for people out there who, you know, I had Mauricio from uh, Waves Latin America helping me out, giving me some tips on how to do this. Even though our stuff is very simple, we, we were trying to do, just for the people who, who don't know this, we were actually trying to get us going with two sessions at once and everything, and that kind of like didn't pan yep. out. We, we got some, uh, we had some issues getting two sessions playing and trying to work that audio portion out to be presentable. So we decided not to do this week, but we will real soon, uh, whenever we're talking about certain things, to be able to show what we're doing. So that will be coming up soon once we get, we refined and fine-tune these streaming audio issues. Yeah, look for that change to happen in about six months. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> how, is it, how is it that we can, we can like, do shows in front of 100,000 people or 50,000 people or whatever and not flinch, be, be in our game, be calm. And right before, at least for me, I don't know about you, but because I'm the one running OBS and everything here, I'm freaking out before we hit go live. I'm just freaking out. And I'm just sitting here. You're just sitting there chilling. That? You're like, oh, it's going to be fine. I was like, well, dude, you know. But uh, yeah, this whole streaming thing has kicked my ass. I, I can't deny that. Uh, and then we have the issue that sometimes when we do the audio thing, then on Facebook it comes out uh, out of sync, or it streams in sync and then it plays back out of sync. It's like watching Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I had a session this week uh, where I recorded some saxophone. That was really cool. Man, you're like, you're doing a lot of saxophone. Is it like, like romantic music? You're doing some uh, <laughs> 80s? No, it's just, you know, it's it's rock music, but the sax is giving it that, you know, it's just giving it another layer. That's cool. Flavor in the music. I think saxophone's cool. Oh, and I then, love sax. You know, and then we go and double track it, triple track it, get crazy with the sax, run it through a Marshall amp. See, that's what I'm talking about. Give it a little character. Exactly. Between that and trying to maintain some sense of sanity. Yeah, well, it looks like it's going to be even longer that we're going to be uh, trying to figure out this streaming thing. We have more time now, it seems like. Plenty of time to figure out the streaming thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, without getting too deep into that whole part, but yeah, it's pretty, I'm, it's pretty sad to see that this is going to stay, it's going to be like this a little longer. You know, some people are just not taking it as serious as they should uh, for everybody's sake. But we just got to keep doing what we do to try to stay in contact with people, even if it's like this, you know, try to make sure we stay in touch with people, I should say, you know. Exactly. So all those people out there need to sign on and watch Sonic Ninjas. Yes. Friday. 
If you got nothing to do on a Friday, join us. That's right. Join us. And uh, uh, we have our, our YouTube page as well that has all the previous episodes. You know, not that there's that many, there's seven. But uh, there's some interesting ones, so, so check them out, share them, subscribe. Um, so yeah, please, you know, support that. And it's, uh, there's always going to be newer stuff. If you have any questions or if you have any things that you, any topics that you wanna, want us to talk about, just write, write us a little note and we'll be happy to address it on, on the next episode. As we, we are here to please, we aim to please, right, Bradley Dean? That's right, we do. You know, and, and people have been asking some of the things, we get a lot of questions, but one of the things people ask a lot, and uh, um, and actually before I say that, let me say thank you to Jeff Subaru once again for allowing us to use his music during our intro. Amazing project, Petrito. Uh, Jeff Subaru is our guitar player with Enrique, so he's part of the family, so we, we thank him for that, and we encourage everybody to go check out his his music on all the digital platforms so anyway it's great stuff yeah he has more projects coming up i've been very fortunate to be able to mix his stuff so what you heard is something that i mix here uh and uh there's a little surprise for you guys also at the end so don't go anywhere because there's a little little treat from bradley dean again um but from the archives something from the archives yeah it's dusty we had to take some of the dust out Yes. Dust off and and, and the, but it's pretty cool. It was actually pretty pretty cool to hear it and 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 check it out and see you in another uh, chapter, I guess, of the rock star chapter. You know, that's it. Straight out of nineteen ninety six. Jesus, I was like four or five, I think. I thought you were going to say I wasn't even born. <laughs> that's what I always say, but nineteen ninety five is hard to say that now. Right. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so one of the things that people have been asking us is, uh, you know, there's a few things I should have wrote down just in case, but is our, our console workflow or, or our workflow in general, how we structure our console, how do we organize it, how do we prepare it, how do we, uh, you know, what's uh, our workflow in general, how we set up our faders, layouts, etc. So I'm going to let you start with that. Maybe you can give us a rundown of how you set up your console in all areas, inputs, outputs, groups, main bus, plugins, any kind of processing, how you route things, etc. Go for it. Okay. So the quick version. I've oh. got all the drums bus to a VCA, and then they go to two groups. One is the main drum group. The next one is the parallel drum group. Both of those get processed. Uh, the bass guitar pretty much just goes to stereo. <coughs> Uh, the guitars sent to a VCA as well as there's two guitar players. So there's two different guitar groups. Each one of those gets processed. And then we've got keyboards. That's just going to hit left, right. And we've got percussion. All of those are on a VCA and a group. And that is you know, minimally processed. Same with background vocals. That hits a VCA, then a group, and it's processed as well. And what else do we have? Tracks. Tracks pretty much go to a group and a VCA. No processing there because it's already been processed. 
by the time it gets to me. And lead vocal, same thing, goes to a VCA and a group, a little bit of processing in the group. And then all that goes to the mix bus and it gets processed as well. So uh, one other thing I do is I sign all the instruments to a VCA minus the vocals. And that way it's just an easy, you know, up or down with one VCA to turn the band up or down, depending on what the vocals are doing. So I pretty much make use of everything on the desk. Anything that goes to a group is going to get some sort of processing. And and that you do that, I would assume, because I like doing this too, to, well, you say some stuff has minimal processing on the actual group because you're probably either doing it on the channel uh, and then you're just grouping it for sake of controlling them all together. But um, you also do some broad strokes, I would assume, maybe on the group that maybe doesn't get processed individually or do you mostly process individually? No, well, you know, there's a bit of EQ and compression. Let's talk about, let's say, the guitar channels. You know, there's a channel strip on the guitar inputs. And then that goes to a group where I put Fatso on the group along with the uh, Brainworks Digital V3. So I get a bit of imaging for the guitar and, you know, just a little bit more, you know, tape saturation, which is kind of what the Fatso gives to it. But it's all very, the group processing for the guitars is pretty minimal. I'm I'm basically looking for the image. Correct. It's more texture and imaging. Yeah. yeah, same with the drums. I mean, it's a compressor and an EQ after the compressor. You got the you know, you got the main drum group that sees a tiny bit of compression, then the parallel group gets squashed. And then I always like to put an EQ after the compressor. So, now, I'm if not you're gonna, doing you know, that if you're doing that on the groups in general, generally speaking, what do you have on inputs? Mostly filters, and what what do you? What's your approach in inputs if you were doing that on groups? Well, inputs, yeah. There's high pass, EQ. If it's you know drums, there's gates, a little bit of compression, and yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, then it, then the group is the broad strokes, like you say. Right. You know, get everything dialed in in the inputs, and then general eq across the across the group just to make the kit shine and make it sound more like a one instrument and then i know that you're also something that we have in common is is how we process our our mix bus in your case um you know you have that one mix where you approaching it that way I, i i apply that to several for in ears and things like that so Knowing that how you filtering and stuff inputs, and then you go to your groups, do some broad strokes. How do you finalize that in your chain as far as uh, your main bus? What what do you have on there? Okay, well, being that everything individually is is processed, there's a bit of compression on on just about every input. When it hits the mix bus it's probably going to see maybe a half a dB of compression because now it's the big picture. So I'm going to start off with the compressor, half a dB of compression, and then that's going to go into the digital V3, which is for the imaging, because why not have it just be a little bit more wide? We have that luxury. So follow that with a fatso which is a tiny bit more compression, but again, maybe a half a dB. And then that's going to, the, the final stage is going to be the limiter. And the limiter never really ever engages unless it's some sort of, you know, like an 808 drop or some really sub heavy, 
you know, track thing that happens. I'm not looking to limit my mix and have it be one level the entire show. It's more of a, just a, a safeguard kind of thing to correct. Yeah. What about the layout of, because I know we might get a little deeper into dynamics and compression stuff, because that was another question that people have been asking a little more in depth as far as how we process things. But to finish a little bit more as far as your layout, what else do you do on the console to customize it to to you? I mean, do you run, uh, how do you run your, your mix bus? Do you run it off matrices? And how do you separate them into what? And then how do you organize your faders? And if you customize them at all, you know, how do you do that? Well, the mix bus is going to be set up left the matrixes are going to be set up left, right, sub, and front fill. And, if, you know, a good, a finely tuned PA system will see all my matrix, matrixes sitting at uh, Unity. Uh, all my plugins in the mix bus are, are pre-fader so that I can have my output of my desk at anywhere from, you know, Unity to minus 10 and the processing is going to be unaffected. Uh, same with the groups. All the uh, all the plugins are pre-fader. I don't know. I mean, I, I generally I like to set my input gain based on the input gain of the channel, and not based on all my faders needing to be at zero. Right. That's you know, it's just one thing that. I mean, back in the old days, that's how I used to do it. But now that I you know, record stuff into Pro Tools, and then I do playback and everything. I want to see level on all the inputs. Yeah, you have to consider that now because we need that for virtual sound check and all these other things, and also for recording and, and giving people stems. Right? So your gain structure uh, yeah. needs to be more ideal and with your end result being, you know, that line level that you want to give out or whatever. Um, exactly. So uh, uh, let me uh, just address, I think there's some questions already. Thank you for everybody for joining. We've got 25 people watching us right now. That's great. Cesar, Mauricio, Leonardo, Angel, Dan, Hector, Juan. What's up, you guys? Pete, uh, Cesar Sogbe. Hi, Cesar. He's asking, do you guys have a beer mini fridge in the studio? <laughs> uh, actually, I used to, but I took it out of here because I was drinking too much beer. So now it's, it's, it's inside the house on the side, you know, so if I need to, I, I at least have to get up from this seat to go get it <laughs> instead of just rolling to it. Don't you have a fridge, too, that looks like a Marshall Amazon? No, I don't. I oh, just I have a little mini fridge out in the hallway. Oh, just regular. I, I thought for some reason it looked like an amp. But anyway. No, just a little mini fridge. Um, Bruce is asking, your VCA, your VCA that you mentioned earlier, are they controlling groups or the channels? They're controlling the channels. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, uh, let's see, how about issues, this is from Jim, how about issues or techniques for using head-worn mics in live concerts? That's uh, going to be a question for you. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, even though I, we currently don't use those, but I have in the past, um, you know, there's a lot of filtering to do. You can do low pass and high pass. Those are your friends for sure. Because they that mic sometimes, if you have the luxury to have it at least close to the mouth or very near, then, uh, you know, 
then you can do more with it. When they just keep him on the side, that makes it a little tougher. Uh, but I usually like to have some form of expander on it. Uh, I don't mind compressing it. Hopefully, I have the ability to compress it in, in, in stages too, so I don't compress it one time really hard. I just compress it very lightly in several stages. Um, and, and also EQ before and after the compression because then that allows me to filter some stuff, then compress it, then EQ it maybe for, for taste or for uh, texture after. And then if I need to compress it again or limit it at the end. Um, as far as, you know, if you have a headset worn and you have a runway, I would probably apply what, what Brad and, and has done in the past, even with regular mics, which we talked about many times, which is the low pass. A lot of people are afraid to use the low pass because they think you're going to cut all the high end up. But honestly, anything above 12K maybe out on the runway on a vocal mic, you're not going to need with a loud band. You're not. No. And by by and depending on the slope, by using that low pass, you will benefit from that because it, it will clean up that side of that mic and the bleed of the of the PA into that mic. And that applies to a head worn mic or even a handheld. And it's more natural as well when you use the low pass like that. Yeah. Instead of just cutting it you know, on the EQ, right? Exactly. Way more natural. Yeah, and I think it's important to uh you know, it all. You know, anything that we may say has to be applied to whatever you're doing. I mean, it, it's it may work for whatever you're doing, but or it may not. But for what we're doing, where we're having a loud band or a loud act or whatever, it works great. If you have a, a quieter show and it's and it's no runway, you might get away with putting a lot of that air. You know, a little bit of EQ and that air and the microphone. I'm able to get away with it because. I'm mixing people who have in-ears. So I can make their microphone sound like like a studio mic that has a lot of air. What? What is that? I'm not able to get away. No, you're not. You can't because then it will just be feedback central and, and that's, uh, it's just too much. It would just be, plus it will, you amplify that. That would just be too much. But you know where, I, where I do put air on is on the drum kit though. Yeah. With the Mog EQ. Yeah, but you also have a, a high SPL for that. So, you, I mean, like, they're they're hitting the drums hard, and you can get yeah. away with your with the, um, the gain that you have set for that. You can get away with that, and they're further back, you know? So, yeah, whenever we can, of course, if need be, we'll do it. So that's as far as the, whatever we can say, as far as the head-worn mic. Um, thank you, Cesar. Uh, let's see who's here asking a question. No question for now. Everybody just saying hi. Hi, Bradley Dean. <laughs> um, so anyway, so let, let's go back to what you were talking about a little bit. Uh, I'll pick up on on, on a, a little bit of that processing of how we're routing our console. In my case, at monitors, uh, because I'm using the auxins and everything to send to in-ears, then I have to structure it slightly different than Brad was saying because um, I do put some processing on my inputs, um, some for for texture and, and a lot of it just for filtering things but a lot of my broad strokes are happening on what will be my mix bus now i have many mix buses because i have many mixes in your mixes so i create or i try to create i should say 
a certain color for each of the members in, in my artist mixes. And once I have that color, based on that, I'm able to, to feed their, their mixes and, and find that, that sweet spot where it feels good to them, you know, depending on what instrument they're playing. Uh, I don't over-process the inputs, and I don't over-process the, the main buses either, but, you know, there's a fair amount, but it's always kind of working them together, knowing that if I'm doing something here, how it's going to affect the end result or, or the, the entire color, because remember, my EQs on the inputs are also affecting everybody's mixes. So it's not that I have a separate EQ for the kick for everybody's mixes. I think there's a console that does that. I think Digico might do that. And that's that's great, but that just seems like a whole other layer of work. You know, imagine if you have 10 members and each member wants a different kick sound. It's like, I don't know. I don't want to knock that feature because it seems like a really cool feature that you might use in, in a couple of different situations maybe, right? Maybe the drummer wants a very clicky kick drum but you don't really need a clicky kick drum for everybody else. Cool. So it's it's a two instance, right? It's two instances that you're doing it. I find yep. that to be very useful. Uh, but anyway, so that's kind of how I do that. As far as my layouts, I try to try to lay out my console in a way where it makes sense and I only have what I need in front of me. Um, obviously, when I go to the to the standard layout, everything's one to one. But then I have customized layouts for certain sections of the show. Um, my main show and then I have a layout for the acoustic set so then that brings everything that I need for the acoustic set directly in front of me in the middle of the console Um, and that's just a a great feature that you know digital consoles have I'm on an Avid SXL and and that makes a big difference to me because then it makes it makes my my workflow a a lot quicker I can access things a lot a lot faster Um, and as far as routing like I said same thing broad strokes I have you know, ML4000 at the end of my chain. I have a, 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 a digital V3 for stereo imaging and some surgical EQ that affects the whole mix uh, when needed, depending on the venue that we're in. Usually to remove some of the muddiness of a mix um, if the venue is kind of, I don't know, too muddy or dirty, I should say. Uh, that's a great EQ because it's a mid-side EQ and that allows me to clean up you know, take some loan off the middle without affecting the sides of the mix. Um, so that's a great cue for that. And I have usually on tour also a Fatso and Shadow Hills so uh, with a UAD system. So that also creates a great color on the overall mix of an in-ear mix. So that's kind of how I do it, which in, we have some similar things with Brad, which is probably why we, you know, get along so well. I guess we think alike. Yeah. I think that's true. Well, when we first got the real-time racks back in, what was it, 2017? Yeah. And we were able to implement that into the show, and all of a sudden it's like we're both using – it's like, what are you using on your mixes? And yeah. it's like, you're using Shadow Hills and Fatso and Digital V3. Well, guess what I'm using? Same thing. <laughs> we're on the same that, wavelength. Yeah, those were the three. Yeah. I mean, and and it, it made a, a great impact on the ears too, and, and – I like to have that perceived loudness so they can actually keep their body packs quieter. Um, I'm, I'm, I like using compression and limiters and things like that, but not really strong. I like to use them in stages and small 
small bits as you go along, you know? So yes. it, it gives you the sensation that is nice and loud and punchy, but it's actually not that loud, you know? So in return, we're protecting the, our musicians and our artists' ears and and giving them a mix that is more pleasant or more uh, record-like, if you will, for whoever wants them that way. You know, there's also musicians who don't need that or don't want it. They just want a straight-up, you know, easy, quick mix, their instrument, kick, snare, click, vocal. That's it. They don't want bells and whistles. They don't care about panning. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're serving them, so whatever they want. You know? Yeah, and since we're talking about dynamics, yes, like you say, a little bit along the way, you know, in the addition of all those little, you know, different colors and little bits of compression and EQ here and there, all all along the way to the big picture. Yes, you little know, bits. Yeah, because if you. If you just squash them from the get-go, you might it might work for a certain part of the performance or for a certain part of that particular input. Maybe when they go really loud, you set it and go, "Oh, that's that works." And then when they go quieter, it just gets it falls apart. But if you start compressing very little and some with very slow attacks, and then the other one mid attack, but you know uh, less ratio, like so. So this one might be heavily compressed like super slow attack so you're not taking any chance enough in a very fast release then all of a sudden that goes through but it has a little bit and then this one a little faster attack so now you're containing this one now you bring it up here like very light throughout by the end that thing is going to be right in front of you you know exactly which is kind of what we look for without having to turn things up too loud you know um let me look i think before we move on and continue about this dynamic stuff which is a long well, conversation this week. Go for it. Do you see anything that you want to discuss? Here's one from Jabez. Jabez? Yeah. That's the one I was just reading. Okay. So in terms of mix buzz, what do you prefer and why saturation first, comp second? Oh, no. Saturation first, comp second, or the comp first, saturation second? I think it all depends on what you're looking for and what, what is the sound that you're looking for. For me, I, I, I don't know, I, I've come to put the compression first and get that, you know, that glued mix it of how I'm looking for it to be processed. And then I'm going to put some stuff after the compressor so that anything that I add is not going to affect what the compressor is doing. So I'm, I'm just adding the, the flavors and the textures after the compression. Sometimes I put saturation first. It, it all depends. But in this case, it's saturation actually is third on my mix bus. It's after the imager. Oh, so, it's, oh so it's right before the limiter. It's, a, it's towards the end. Before the limiter. And I find that a lot of times when, when you spread something with an imager, it gets to the point where you can go too far and it actually changes the, you know, the sound of the mix. So, you know, the saturation will help to just, you know, kind of shave off whatever, you know, that sharpness that maybe the imager adds if you go too far. But again, it's a taste thing. It's what sounds good to me. I mean, I've put them all in different orders and 
It's just kind of the way I roll with it. Yeah, so if you go to another artist with a different type of mix, you might switch the order of that because it affects it differently, right? That's a possibility. See, for me, I do compression, then saturation. So I do Shadow Hills, then, or, or 33609, and then Fatso, and then my imager, and then the limiter at the end, the ML4000. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a slight variant, but it's the same big units that we use. But uh, um, that's a good question. Um, it, but it, it really doesn't, at the end of the day, you know, there's no exact rule when it comes to these things. We Whatever sounds good, like some people like, it, it, there's a certain moment where I want to EQ something into the compressor. Yep. And there's moments where I want to EQ something after I compressed it because I don't want the compressor to react Maybe because I, I'm planning on adding a lot of like 60 cycles to like a drum group or something, right? And then I don't want the compressor to be triggered by that, you know? So there's certain things you want to do. So you, you compress it, then you EQ it, and, and it sounds beautifully, especially if you're blending that or doing some kind of parallel processing. Now, uh, let me ask you this. Yes, sir. In, when it comes to groups, and particularly drum groups, and you want your EQ after the drum group. Do you do you make use of the sidechain filter on the compressor? If I'm using it before or is it after? If it's after, well, yes. If I do EQ, EQ and after. then compression, yes. Yes. It, it depends too, because if I kind of want it to be, if I want it to react with it, then I'll leave it. Because if I'm not going to make the compressor start too early, it might just work fine. But if I know it's something that I need to, I need the compressor to start early, which means that kick drum is going to affect it no matter what I do, right. right? Not just a snare or anything else. Then I might play, if it has the option, I might do the, the side chain or the high pass, you know, because uh, that will help not uh, not have the kick affect that, you know? Okay. So, yeah, it, it depends. And it really depends on what I'm doing. Or And again, we just use our ears if it's, there's no rule because there's time where I go, I'm supposed to use this because this is what we're supposed to do. And then you go do it and it doesn't sound right because of your other processing, your other groups and your main bus. So at the end of the day, maybe I'll just leave it without and then it works fine. So it really depends, you know. Let's see. Uh, we're saying this is a thank you here from Pete. Always incredible, informative. Keep it up, guys. I appreciate the 411 that you guys dropped for free, and I'm not even a soundie by trade. Brad, good seeing you. Anyway, cool. That's nice of him to say. Um, then, Kenny, interested to me that you both reference the digital V3 for imaging as much as, if not more, than EQ surgical cuts. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, so Dan, um, I think he already got the plug into. He's a friend of mine from here. He's also an engineer and a musician. Uh, I believe he got it already. I know he got the Shadow Hills recently. Also, he loves that. Yeah, the imager, as simple as it is, it's just a one-knob thing on the digital V3. It's just, as soon as you move that, I usually go ex a little extreme. I go 140 sometimes. <laughs> it might be too much, but it seems to work for what I'm doing. I'm at 140, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, so so I don't know, but it you know it's pretty good. It kind of just adds this dimension to it that is... I love it. And then it, the benefit is that because we have that MSEQ, then then it allows us to filter things 
you know, in the proper place without really changing your mix. If you have a regular EQ and you just, let's say, cut 160, you know, in a sort of a wide bell, then, then you, it affects everything. And then it, it might not be exactly what you need, you know, but I can literally change it only in the middle to clean up the vocal area per se. And now there's room for that vocal where that low mid is not, or low is not affecting it. But mm -hmm. the sides still have that information and doesn't change it, you know. <clears throat> I think it's, it's brilliant. And now, the, now more and more you've seen uh, plugins that are being released that have mid-side processing, you know. Uh, Waves has a good one too. The F6 has mid-side processing, mid-side EQ. Um, of course, the Omnichannel does as well. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's... It's very useful, very useful. Um, Dusty, what's going on? Uh, then Dean, hey Dean. Eric Newstrand joined. What's going on, Eric? Joel, we have a nice crowd. Well, keep bringing on the questions. You know, we we uh, we welcome that. Um, so anyway, so we were talking about uh, the dynamics and how we're approaching that. So here's a question for you, Bradley Dean. How do you do you like compressors or for any processing for this matter that where you have full control of every knob and every feature, every parameter of the compressor? Or do you like simplified versions where it's just, you know, input, output, you know, or like an 1176 where you really don't have a threshold, you just have an input and an output? You know? Or maybe the PV gatekeeper. The PV gatekeeper, which had what, two knobs? Two knobs, open, closed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should have put that photo up here. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, you know, it depends. Obviously, you just mentioned two of my favorite compressors, yeah. LA-2A and 1176. Yes. And obviously, you know, choose those for the tone or the color that they add to something. Uh, <coughs> so with that said, you know, I could use just those two compressors on lots of things and be perfectly content. Uh, but then again, certain things, you know, it's nice to have attack and release and threshold, you know, and ratio. You know, do I want two to one, four to one? Am I going 10 to one, fast attack, medium attack, slow attack? Yeah. It, particularly when it comes to drums, I think, is where the attack function, I think, comes in you know, handy because I want the transients to get through or I want them to clamp down on the transients. I guess, you know, I'll take both of them. Yeah. Lots of controls or a few controls, depending on what I'm trying to do. It, it seems to me that the ones that have the least amount of controls or they're simplified or they're just, that's just the way they are, they have a very strong identifiable character, like LA-2As or 1176s. You know, and uh, I mean, even remember DBX 160, remember that was just three knobs, you know, threshold, ratio, output. That's it, right? Yeah. So, and that was a great compressor as well, you know. And, and um, so I think they, they always have a certain, a lot more, I don't want to say a lot more, but just they're very identifiable as far as character goes. Where the ones that are with full controls, it's almost like, you can make him sound like anything now. Like you can, you, you have so much control that you can make him be anything that you want in a way. Minus maybe if, if a compressor was made with tubes or whatever, any kind of special circuitry. But 
But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think I, I could lean with either one, too, I, I, depending on what I'm doing, I guess, you know. Okay, so here's a question for you. Yeah. The console dynamics or plugins? Uh, good question. Uh, ever since, well, I guess, well, I guess which console, yeah, but the one I'm using now, the Avis S6L, I believe that their dynamics and their EQ sound great, especially as an onboard, you know, EQ dynamics, they're great. When I'm adding plugins to the console, in this case live, a lot of times it's, it's for tonality, for for texture. Like if I'm adding an SSL channel strip to certain elements of my mix, it's because I'm looking for that particular sound. Not because I couldn't EQ it with the onboard console. So it's usually because I'm looking for something that is offered in addition to just the EQ portion of it. It's a texture thing, you know. Same with compressors. Like if I put a eleven seventy six on a on a vocal live, it's because I'm looking for that graininess, that growl, that kind of dirtiness that it will add instead of using the compressor that is on board, which is pretty clean, you know. Yep. So I think that that's that's when well that will be for me, you know. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a good. How about you? Well. Going back to the when I started using a profile, I had SSL for drums, Neve for guitar, and API for bass. And I think I had SSL for vocals. Because I was looking to create my console and to give it those, you know, different flavors for the different inputs. I still kind of do the same thing today. I find myself you know, going for channel strips and, you know, making the drums. I think the drums are still SSL to this day. My guitars, I think they're SSL as well. But, you know, it's, there are times when I'll go to the console compressor or gate or, you know, whatever, just if it's something simple that I'm not looking for that color. Most times I find in the digital realm, I want to add color to everything. Yeah. So that's where I go. Yeah, and and like we were saying earlier, for me, where, where I'm creating the the color scheme or the the color and texture of my console or my main buzz, I do it at the end on my master buzz. So that allows me to maybe use a little bit less on each input because I kind of created my the color that I'm looking for in general with my master buzz going either whether front of house or in my case, going into everybody's mixes. So then I'm able to do that. But if I need something specific, then I will just add the plug into it. But there's nothing, I even have a setup that if I need to, if something on the software goes haywire or whatever, and I need to get out of the plugins, I just hit a button and it literally crossfades into everything on board. And I had a dial pretty close. The only things that you notice is, like I said, the texture stuff, you know, like if, if I was using APIs or, or, or Fairchilds or anything that adds a certain character, then I, that was lost. But mm. but it, I, I have a dial now where it gets pretty close, at least to allow us to reboot something or whatever, you know. 
Just as a, just in case if it happens, you know. The oh shit button. The oh shit button, you know. Um, let's see. So there's no actual questions right now, but uh, let's keep going with the, uh, let's see. Controller mouse. Oh, yeah. So here's something that I, I'm going through stuff that people have been asking in the past that we never got to. Um, I think I already asked about controls, no controls. Um so when do you feel that you need to add compression or a gate? Like, what's the determining factor where you go, oh, maybe I could use it without, and I just let my group do it, or maybe I need to add or, or an input or, or an output? or How do you make that decision? That's a good question. I know. Very good question. I got you thinking, didn't I? You did. Uh, I see smoke coming through. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tend to generally always go for a little tiny bit of compression, even if it's a half a dB. Maybe it's kind of a habit thing that, you know, I started doing it and I, and I continue to do it. Uh, I like, you know, I like the way I like the way compression sounds when you add it to drums, to the toms, the kick and the snare, even the hi-hat. You know, there's a compressor on my hi-hat uh, and overheads as well. So, you know, I guess nine times out of ten, I'm just going to engage it and then, deter you know, tiniest bit. I'm going to start with tiny bit unless I'm looking for a sound. And then maybe I'm going to go for a little bit more compression. But I think it's kind of – it's just where I go. So I guess maybe – you know, super overdriven guitars a lot of times already sound compressed. Yeah. Maybe that would be one case in point where I don't really find the need to compress the guitar. You know where I like you know where I like compression on guitars? I mean, if I'm doing something in a studio, I usually they're part of my group and I have a, a 1176 going in there as I'm pushing things into the group, but very lightly. That's again texture. That's a but color. It's a color. But live, I, I like having, you know, I like the, 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 the sense that when you, you have the guitars going, you're probably not touching the compressor at all in a group. And then the solo comes in and you push the solo. I like the solo to come forward, but not like jump at you. I like the fact that if, if it starts, if there's a little glue going on where it just kind of contains it as you're pushing it forward, but it's, you still hear it clearly. So you know, it's not like you're ducking it, but it's like a, a you know, it just glues it together. You know, I like yeah. that feeling of like, okay, I'm pushing the solo, and you, you can be kind of drastic as you push it in quick, but it doesn't, it doesn't really blow your head off. It just kind of comes forward lightly. You know, you're driving it into compression as you push up the fader. Exactly, and then some of the things that I like to do sometimes because was I can get away with certain things like sometimes drummers is. Because I can't really do parallel compression on a group, you know, as I would if I was doing front of house or something like that. But um, I can do certain things on, on the inputs if they have a mix control, right? Uh, in fact, that's something I wish they had on the console, like a mix control for all your plugins together. Like how much of that whole processing do you want the process? Anyway, but right. that would be cool. Uh, that would be a cool feature to have. But... Uh, Sometimes I feel that it, I can get away with certain things, like if a drummer's like hitting really hard and 
I can squash certain things of the drums a little more because I feel that, that the drum kit that they're hearing from here is unprocessed. And then I'm blending in their processed drums to whatever they're doing. And, and that's sort of the mentality that I apply to it when I'm applying the processing to it. And it seems to work, you know, even though, you know, it's not a real parallel process or anything like that. But uh, it's a good approach because then, then it's, you get the best of both worlds. Or maybe because I'm, they're getting from the overheads the full drum kit. And then I'm squashing a little more than I should maybe on the drums. And I bring them in, then they sound normal or fuller because of that, you know. So yeah, I mean, as far as compressors, gates, do you use any gates for like, besides percussion instruments or toms, which are the usual, I guess, uh, what's your approach on that? Do you use them ever for noise reduction or do you mostly do them for? Uh, yeah, gates on toms, kick drum, maybe snare bottom, probably not usually on snare top. Uh, and then the expander portion I have used on vocals just to help tame down the noise when, when you know, the vocalist is not singing. Nothing real drastic. Again, I'm just trying to reduce the noise floor. Yeah. So they came in, you know, great for that. The gate was just too choppy and you could hear it. But the expander was more natural. Yes. Smoother. And then I, I use the PSC a lot on vocals. With Gwen, I use it on her vocal, actually. And I don't cut it off, but I fade it. So when she's not on that mic, it just fades it very slowly, just fades it. And it just keeps the, the bleed away from her. And then as soon as she takes a breath to start singing, it starts again. So she doesn't even notice it in a, in a way. But it helps keep her mix cleaner. Every back on vocalist has it. Same with Enrique, they all have it. So, so when they're not on their mic, and we got them, they sing really good. They really know how to use the microphones and they're right on it. So if they're not singing, that thing doesn't open. Right. And then in addition to that, I tried, so you were talking about the noise floor. I, I also apply mutes. I automate the mutes on whatever's not being used, even if it's a percussion instrument, if it's not going to be used, it's off. Yep. We just go like, it's eh. off. <laughs> When they go to play, that it's on. Well, it's funny because there, there was an instance where uh, Jason, our, one of our guitar players and, and background singers, he, uh, we were at the C stage, and they were performing a song where it's just Enrique and, and one of our background singer girls doing a duet, right? And and he and of course they're on the other side of the the arena. And that mic, because they don't sing backgrounds on that song, because the whole band is on the C stage, then those microphones are off. Their microphones. Their background vocal microphones. And he leaned into to do, he wanted to harmonize with her or something, or do something. And, and he was like, hey, my mic is off. I said, well, it's not off. It, it was off, because my mic is off. And, and, and of course, that gives them, as the performer, they start worrying that their mic is off the whole time. And... And then it came on, of course, on the next song, which is when they sing backgrounds. So that's yeah. when I explained to him, no, if you're not singing, your mic is off. Trust me, you want it off. Otherwise, you're away from your mic and you're just getting the bleed coming into your mic, delayed, coming late from the PA. Yeah. It's going to drive you nuts. And he goes, oh, it's just I wanted to sing with her. It's like, oh, okay, well, now that I know, 
I'll open that mic up for you for that song now. And and that's easy. I can fix that. That's not an issue. But just so you know, it was off on purpose for that song because normally no one harmonizes on that part. Yeah. But it's it's just a matter of keeping that noise away from everybody. You know, I think it's important to um uh you know keep it cleaner, you know, noise reduction gates or or expanders, mutes, whatever you can do to keep their mixes clean, whether it's front of house or monitors, I think it's a great tool to use. Why not? You know? Yeah, because there's so much noise going on in the arena anyway. Yeah. You don't need any added noise. I agree. What yep. about what about uh, uh, limiters? Do you use limiters for just the house, your house mix, the mix left right, or do you ever put limiters on on instruments? It's pretty now. It's pretty <coughs> much just on left right. I have used you know I have used uh, limiters on. I worked with a vocalist once who was very dynamic, and the band was just so powerful that I, that I ended up putting a limiter on his channel just so I could bring the level up to where it needed to be at all times. And I would crank the output of the, of the limiter up. Was that with him or was that someone else? That was with him. And that was like a, that lasted for like, I don't know, a couple months. And then I went on to try something different because he started singing different. Oh, okay. But generally I don't really, you know, I don't really find the need for limiters other than the mix bus with this situation that we're in now. Yeah. Because it's pretty well controlled. And by the time it gets to where <coughs> into the group, it's, you know, I don't really see the need for the limiter. I usually, I will do it when, uh, like I said, if it's a very dynamic vocalist, maybe I'll use it. Or in the studio, I always use it. Like I always have a limiter in my vocal group. Like, you know, I guess process in several ways. And then at the end, my all vocal group might have a limiter. Maybe, you know, just as, as a safety precaution or just to tighten them up a little bit or whatever, you know. But live, not so much. Live, if I use limiters, it's on all my, my buses going into the in-ears, you know. And I, I like running the in-ears hot, so I keep those uh, set to a point where I will never clip, but you will never hear it being on either. You will never hear it clamping down on anybody, you know. That's that. That's a sound that could get annoying when things start ducking for someone in their ears. It would just drive them insane, you know. You use the ML four thousand for all the the ML four thousand, yeah, and that also has a four band uh, compressor. So if there's any problematic frequencies, I could very quickly adjust that. It is set already in a way where it's tailored to everybody's mix individually. They're all different. They're set up differently, but as far as the gain, they're all set up basically the same. Uh, because of my game structure, the way I wanted to hit the, the in-ears. So in that sense, it's pretty standard, but the way I change it is with a multiband, and only when needed. You know, if things get muddy, or there's a lot of guitars in their mix, it might start acting a little bit in that 200 or 400 range. It might duck a hair of it. But with a very slow attack, just to make sure it doesn't get muddy consistently on the average of the level, you know? Um... Let's so see. Go ahead. That the next little topic we were talk we were going to talk about is multiband compression. Yes. Multiband or dynamic EQ? <clears throat> yes. What's is your it, What's your take on those things? 
Well, I use I use it to shape sounds. Uh, so Waves has a thing called I think it's TransX or it's Multi TransX, which I think is kind of like like a four channel transient designer in a way. But you have control over the you know the the cue of the band, the section that you want to enhance or cut of the snare drum. So I use that to shape the snare drum. Dynamic EQ I've used to shape, you know, guitar sounds or lead vocals to deal with proximity effect. More as a, you know, more as a shaping thing. I have used the the ML4000 on a broadcast mix. They're great for that, man. They're just Yeah. I love the ML4000 for that. I mean, I like the fact that it's a combo, you know, limiter and and the limiter, you also have different. You have a clean version. You have a, a, a I think it's called crunch or dirty version. Like it's so That's a cool. Great too. Yeah, you can make it be anything. Um, on vocals, I like using, like you said, for the proximity effect stuff. I, I usually have a, a like a C six or an A six hundred on on the vocal or even on guitars. Especially like we were talking the other day about our guitars with Enrique that. All three different guitars come through out of a stereo, you know, output. So um, I have one of those on the guitar. So if, if things get muddy, then it only triggers that frequency. I'm not cutting anything else off. It's just a way of automating a change that I don't have to do in the middle of the show, you know. Same with a vocalist. If, if they get really close to the mic, then I can just take that off, you know, 200, 400. Just notch that out. Only while they're close. If they back away, it goes back to staying flat, and and it doesn't sound thin anymore. And they're allowed exactly. to back away with not having the issue of getting really thin or anything like that. So, so that's you know. Go ahead. Because dynamic EQ reacts to the source that's coming into it, as opposed to static EQ, which, if like you were saying, when the singer gets close to the mic, it's going to take it away. Right. If you EQ'd it out and he gets away from the mic, then it's all thin. Yes. And you don't want that. Correct. You know, and dynamic EQ is really handy, like you say, for guitars. I worked with a band, and it was him, the band him, <laughs> where there was like four channels of guitar coming into a group. And depending on what he was playing, if he was soloing, you know, the multiband or the dynamic EQ would grab, you know, whatever, 3K or something in the solo. Yep. If he was palm muting something, you know, I had it set to grab like 125 or wherever it was summing up at. Yeah. You know, it and was that just great keeps for it that. clean, And that just keeps it consistent because that's something, that's a change that probably would have been done in the studio. They would have recorded the chunk part with a different guitar, different amp maybe, and automated, split it up in different tracks, EQ them differently. Like live, we're able to do this by using these tools. We can sort of, automate certain things you know have the processors yeah. do that for us because we can't if we're watching singers and doing effects stuff and delays all that we can't go and notch something we do it when needed every now and then i also have filters on the console even if i have plugins going on in a certain guitar for instance i already have a filter that is already engaged i mean it's not engaged but it's already uh with the cut or whatever i needed to cut and if i know in this particular 
moment that may or may not happen, so I can't really automate it. All I got to do is engage it, and it's already on the curve where I not what I needed, the frequency that I needed. And then when it's done, I put it back. Yep. Uh, so, I always have a dynamic EQ on Enrique's channel. Yeah. You got to. I mean, it's it's especially the way he's moving and, yeah, the way yep. he uses his mic and running all over the place. Sometimes it's like this, and then all of a sudden he'll be right on it. You have to, you know. Um, Gwen as well, She when she's performing and it's a very exciting show, she gets really excited, and then she starts, like, screaming on that mic and yelling or getting really close and then she'll sing Don't Speak which is a beautiful ballad and she's like not so close and from here and very soft and beautiful and stuff you gotta be able to keep that consistent in their ears without having to go and tweak things it just it gets handled by itself right and if you have to chase it you'll miss it yeah or you'll miss some kind of cue either way and and those kind of shows there's a lot of cues so let's see Here's some a couple comments here. Dean Riley just got the BSS DPR four two plugin. I love my hardware versions. Can't wait to use the plugin version. Have either either of you used it before? Yes, I love that hardware version. And and I really love the plugin version because I got to do presets for it. So check it out. I have some presets on that plugin. It's a great unit. Uh, it's made by Waze for those who don't know. Uh, DPR-4.2, that is a, a BSS emulation that is really, really good. It's, it's a great compressor. So I highly yeah. recommend it. And that has a built-in de and a built-in limiter as well. Uh, and it has, I believe, if I remember correctly, because I'm looking at it, it has also a mix knob so you can blend it, see how much you want to use it for parallel stuff. And Great, great compressor. I think you can mix your whole show with Eddie's presets. Yes, you can, because I got all sorts of them. <laughs> presets in there to mix all e- your inputs. Everything. Everything. Thank you, Brad, for the plug. I appreciate that. I think I had the pleasure of testing out some of your presets, too, before you finalized. You did. Yes. They were very good. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. But you don't have a hi-hat preset in I don't there. have a hi-hat preset I'm going to ask you for that. Someday I'll be honored to receive your hi-hat preset. I know you will. That's another thing. We, You know, I've been uh, on the on the Avid forum, you know, Ryan or John, you know, he, he welcomes, you know, he asks questions. What feature would you like, brother? So I've been throwing some stuff in there. I think a killer feature will be also, while we're on the consoles, to just drag and drop presets from here to there, like, Hey, what are you doing on this thing? Oh, check this out. And you just drag it. It's on this It's in this folder. You just drag it from my preset folder, you know? I mean, sure God, that, God knows. Crash a desk. God knows. No, I don't think so. God knows <laughs> you need my presets, you know? What? Yep. So here's uh, uh, Adam, Adam Lopez. Uh, because I welcome everybody to ask questions in Spanish. So he's asking, have we tried... One probado el plugin Lindell Channel X. Have you tried the Lindell Channel X? We have. Isn't that the 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 plugin alliance one, right? It's plugin alliance, but I've yes. I've used uh, channel. I think it's eighty channel eighty or eighty bus. I thought it was the X. It wasn't. It was the eighty bus, right? I think the it one is, that looked yeah. like a like a Neve and looks uh, like a ten eighty one, I believe. Yes, that thing sounds incredible. Those things are great. So yes, X is great as well. Man, there's so many now that 
I've been really using the one I've been using a lot is the uh, the nine thousand the SSL nine thousand. That's just been blowing my mind. You know, it's a really good one. It's a great one. Uh, thank you, Dan, for your question. Gracias. Le Leia Soraya is here. John Turner, do you use multiband to get ice picks out of guitars? Yes, I have. I think we were. I was just commenting yeah. about that. Yeah. Yep. Really narrow notches just yeah. to get that one section. And 2K nasties. Yep. Uh, Juan Carrion, how you doing? They're really cool. I will look up these presets. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dean. Uh, Network preset folder. That's a good idea. Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, Lindel eight, Lindel eighty is the one that we we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. You're right. That one is amazing. That I use that. So I guess I haven't used the X yet. I'm gonna look it up. Right after this, I'm gonna throw that in there somewhere. Thank you, Dan, for for the question. Uh, let's see. We were talking about multiband. Multiband. How to use them? Yeah. Um, did we cover pretty much most of that multiband? Well, I mean, vocals, we talked about guitars, a little bit on, on our master. You, do you have it on your master bus? No, right? Multiband? No. I no. do because of I have to deal with more of the, I guess, the stuff in here. Um, it, and it's very light anyway, so I'm just using it very lightly on the ML4000. I mostly use that for the limiter portion of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I've used also, there's been instances that instead of using a de-esser, a de which I, I do use a lot on every singer and back and vocalist. I've used de -essers on using a C6 or using an A6000 by MagTSP, like to use them just as a de -esser. And that works great too because you have a lot of control of it of what you want to do. And you can also de in two different parts if needed, you know. Um, I also, and this is crazy, but I've used a de on the guitars, and I've used a de on hi-hats, believe it or not. I believe it. So when people are going, they like go really loud on that open hi-hat. I'm like, okay, hell no. We need to like, but I don't want to just compress it because then it takes the whole tone out of it. I just put a de on it very light and, and it just tones it down a little bit. I don't want to take it away because I don't want their dynamics to go away, but. Yep, I've used it on bass guitar as well. Yeah, I mean, something to take out of this too, and I think you and I kind of agree on this, I guess, that, you know, yes, we have these tools and they're labeled to be used for certain things and same way they they make a, a mic that is for kick drums and they make a, a plug-in that is for drums or vocals or whatever, or people tend to use certain things for, you can use any of these things for anything, really, you know? Yeah. There are no rules. Um this time that I grabbed CLA vocals, you know, the, the plugin that he has with the faders that are part of his signature series, that is supposed to be for vocals, and I'll run guitars through it. I'll run drums through it. I'll run a bass guitar. If it, if it gives me what I need, it doesn't matter. Or, or his guitar plugin, I'll run it through a bass. Or, you know, you know, in fact, that might just create a different character to it, you know? Yeah. Yes, they, they were made with that in mind. But it doesn't mean that you can't use it for anything else. So, Or it might be a happy accident. You may try something and it gives you the, an <coughs> unexpected result that you end up being like, wow, that's really cool when you use it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, there, 
I like the fact that in, in what we do, there are no actual rules when it comes to that. It, it's, it's whatever gives you the, the, uh, the ability to get to that goal that you're reaching, trying to reach in your mix. You know, if you need to add this plugin, great. You need to add this one. You need to add no plugins. I've been cut, caught like sometimes like, man, it's, I'm not getting that sound that I want. And I'm mixing here in the studio. And I'm spending hours doing something. And then all of a sudden I go, well, what happens if I just take it out? Let mm -hmm. me see what it sounds like. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. Just come alive. All of a sudden, and I like to hear things, of course, in context. So let's just say I remove it. All of a sudden it shows up in the mix. And it doesn't sound choked. It doesn't sound something. And I was trying something that is just my usual. But it didn't work for that mix. And I removed yep. my usual. And it worked. And then the next day I go back to using my usual on something else on another song that was recorded differently, whatever, and it works great, you know? So even us as people who do this all the time, we're still learning something every day and we're still making, hopefully not the same mistakes all the time, but we still make sometimes uh, the wrong call that we immediately catch or notice it. And we go, let me try it without this, or let me try just bypassing out of these two things let me just bypass one, see what it does, you know? Yep. So that's well, important. A lot, times, a lot of times too, you need to sit there and just listen to that, listen to the sound yeah. and then figure out in your head, okay, what, what do I need to do to this sound? What is it if not any, giving if me? Anything. What do I need to take away? What do I need to right. add to it? Yeah. It's a big part of it as well. Before you go reaching for, okay, I'm going to use this, this, and this, and this for sure. I need four plugins on this sound. You know, yeah, just listen, listen to, listen to the source. And, and if it's sometimes it may not need, even need anything, exactly, it may not need anything, maybe just a high pass or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, it's great, it doesn't need it. If especially if, if it was recorded very well and it was recorded with the intent or with a vision of how it was going to be mixed, you know, recorded with a certain character or whatever that they were looking yeah. for, you know, then there you go. You know, it's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it could happen to anybody. Like we, we get caught up on, on our using our toys and stuff and, and it could get distracting. But the idea is to know to catch it quick and fix it and, and move on to the next thing that you have to worry about. But um, let's see what else we got here. Other questions that were asked from, from before. We covered the multiband thing. Oh, since we were talking about gates, I wanted to bring up something. Um, and this is not necessarily on the live uh, scenario because I can't do it live. But um, I tend, and I don't know how you do it in, in, in your studio, but I tend to um, just cut, like if I have a floor, like a floor tom, and it will be easier to explain this with a visual, which we will soon, but if I had a floor tom, and then there's a symbol right after it. You know, most people tend to grab the waveform and just reduce it, fade it, and and what happens is the floor tom instead of going, it goes, it just dies, right? It just, yeah, you don't have the symbol, but now there's no decay on that floor tom. Um, so I, I tend to cut that after after the attack, after the initial transient. I uh, I usually slice the region. And uh, the second region with, with clip uh, processing on Pro Tools, I low pass it all the way down to 100. And I put a 
tiny quick crossfade there and now all of a sudden symbol is gone and you hear literally the whole decay of that floor tom you know and there are gates that are pretty good at this and they like slate came up with one and i think sonox came up with one but at the end of the day is there's nothing like doing it because the they're going to react based on, on certain parameters that you set. The way I will do it, I'm setting it based on the way the song is being played. You know, where the symbol was, if it was on the upbeat, or this and that, how quick it was. So I'm able to tailor that length that I want. And it literally keeps the decay of the, of the tom or the floor tom, whatever it is that you're doing, that, that uh, uh, sometimes it sounds like samples because at the end of the day, I'm able to process that tom any way I want, knowing that I'm not going to get that psh, psh of the symbol coming in, you know? Um, I wish we had something like that live, or like one of those other gates that I mentioned live, but... Uh, like a... Like the one? Light gate. Oh, yeah. That's pretty amazing. I mean, and even though as good as that one is, like I said, I found myself every now and then going by hand and doing what I'm doing with the, with the toms. And that one's pretty amazing, though. It works great if it's recorded with very well-isolated microphones. It's amazing. Uh, but every now and then, I'll just go and do it surgically and just do it one at a time, you know. Um, but that's, you know, it depends on what you're working on, you know. I see some questions over here. Go for it. From Peru. Oh, from Peru. Let's see. Um, do you see it? Yeah. From Rodrigo. What's going on, Rodrigo? Let's see. Hi. Greetings from Peru. What's your favorite master compressor? And do you always have the same compressor in the master in all genres? <clears throat> do you want to go first or you want me to go first since it's from Peru? It's from Peru. You should go. You should do the honors. <laughs> I should. You're from Peru. I am. Chimpun. Okay. So for the most part, uh, I use this, the my usual my usual stuff. It's either uh, thirty three six oh nine or Shadow Hills as my compression. Um, you know that's usually what I have on whether I'm in the studio or 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 live. You know, um, so yeah, I mean that's as far as compressors go. And if limiter, like we said before, the uh, ML4000, and that usually goes uh, what, what, whatever, whatever the scenario. As far as music, different styles, I think I think with those two compressors, I'm able to cover any style, really, because they're very flexible, I think. I think we can, you know, I like the, the, the character of the 33609 um, for a lot of the rock stuff. I think the Shadow Hills is great, but it's sometimes too... Clean. It could be clean depending on what you're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, we I've done stuff with the Shadow Hills too that is great. That is for heavy music too. So uh, I, I, you know, those two. I will say between those two, I will go back and forth. Those are my two favorite ones: Shadow Hills and 33609. How about you, Bradley Dean? I do like the Shadow Hills as well, and I like it because it has three different types, three different transformers in it. Yes. You know, iron, nickel, and steel, all giving you three different sounds. I also like the 33609. I also like SSL G-Bus Compressor. Yeah, that's now true. That's too. Forgot about that one. 
And then lately I've started messing around with the Mog Magnum K compressor, which is really cool. And it's got the air band. I think it's got, oh, I don't know if it had mid-side on it or not. I think it might have. It just has some really cool features on it. And it's, it's and that will cool. be as your main compressor, right? as your main bus compressor, right? I mean, I just did a mix where I put it on the <laughs> drum group and then the parallel group. So I used the Mog Magnum K compressor on both drum groups, followed by the Mog EQ4. And it was it was really cool. With the with the air band, like I don't know, plus five at like you know forty k. You know, which okay, which, you say, well, you can't really. So hear your dog, that high. your dog was happy. Your dog was happy with that. But I I listened to the drums and so I turned that on right? and off. It just does this. It just opens up the entire top end of the drums without making it bright. Right. It's almost like it just clarifies it without making it bright. Right. Right. It just, it was incredible what it did. So, yeah, I think those are my, and then there's another one by uh, Brainworks. I think it's the BX townhouse compressor, which is really cool. It's kind of a version of an SSL, I think, but pretty There's cool. so many, there's so many great ones too. I mean, it's all I the mean, sound you're looking for too. Yeah. And that might change. I mean, like, like asking, uh, telling Rodrigo, answering his question, those are like those were my two, and I forgot about the SSL. The three that I go through when I'm mixing. What about uh, an API twenty five hundred? Those are great too, but I, I don't I don't use it a lot. But I have used it in the past. Uh, I know I think Cesar Sobia uses it, and he's been talking about some stuff. So I, I, I was gonna go back and start trying it again. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's so many now, but those are my top three, I will say. And then I go through those. And then every now and then, you know, we start trying things the same way we're talking with Brad and with everybody else here. It's like we'll try a different one. We go, oh, and that's going to be my my guy for weeks or months from now on. And then we just maybe something else comes up, you know, because our our ear and our approach changes every now and then, even though we're mixing and, and our end result might be the same or with our same character, or same style of mixing. You know, we always like trying new tools and, 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 and experimenting and discovering new sounds that we could accomplish, you know? Yep. What about the Fairchild? Ah, that too. And that's a sound. That's a certain sound. Sometimes I, I use the Fairchild just to go through it and I'm not even compressing anything. Just to go through it. It was part of my mixing template. And Pro Tools that it was going through it and I wasn't doing anything. So, yes. Uh, See. Oh, my friend Luis here is throwing a joke. Let's see. That's <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez. Come on, Luis. Really? Matt. <laughs> We should Hard block him. We should block him. He deserves to be blocked with that joke. Hey. Yeah. Leonardo was here in the beginning, and then he left. Oh. And now he's back. Oh, he's back. Leonardo, did you really leave? Where did you go, Leonardo? Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Leonardo? Did you leave? <laughs> Where did you go? Did you have another uh, live going on? Anyway, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad everybody's here. We're getting close yeah. to the end anyways. Um, close to the end. 
Very hey. close. I think, you know, we, we you, you, Luis, you did warn us about your joke, yeah. Uh, here, someone, Bob Ronelli, Love, love Shadow Hills, G Bus, and Fairchild 660. Yes. Yes. We didn't miss any questions, right? Oh, here. I don't. Oh, wait. There's one. Uh, there's another one up there from Peru, from Rodrigo. Let's see. Is it a question? Oh, yeah. Let me see. Or oh, is it a comment? Let's see. Lately, I've been using the Esser for acoustic guitars and busy guitar productions. Sometimes the acoustic, you see, with all guitars get so picky. Yeah. That is true. And, and, and again, you know, I've had people say, hey, why would you put a de-esser on an acoustic guitar? Well, because it's wor it works. It's, 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 a, it's a frequency compressor. It just so happens to be focused on high frequencies, but that doesn't mean you can't use it for something that is not a vocal. You can use it for anything you want. You know, not a big deal. Right. Maybe they should have called it a de-thumper or de-clacker, de-clicker, de-popper. Something. But it's a de-esser, and because people automatically think, I, I want to tame the S's. De-esser. Yeah, but it, it's, uh, yeah, I tame. don't understand why would anybody, uh, you know, feel that it's not possible. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, anyway, sorry, I was looking at something here. I was going to try to share some of our information, but at the beginning, you guys saw all our social media information. Uh, so to close off tonight, today, Bradley Dean has been gracious enough to share a song. You <laughs> should tell us about this. You tell us about what they're going to hear as we say goodbye. Well, this was, this was one of my last bands, Souls at Zero. How You Bleed. It, what's that? The song is How You Bleed, right? The song is called How You Bleed. It was me, Terry Carter on guitar, and Jamie Miller on drums. And pretty much it, these were going to be songs that we were going to demo in order to try and get signed again. And uh, we never did anything with them. So here you go. This is for your listening pleasure. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Episode 8 of Sonic Ninjas. We hope to continue doing this. And thanks for your support, for showing up. Uh, yes. Please go to uh, Sonic Ninjas and on, on YouTube and subscribe. All these episodes will be there and continue watching and supporting us, sharing our pages and, and asking us questions. And we're always here for you guys. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bradley Dean, love your brother. We'll see you soon. Adios, amigo.
I'm sorry to 